0: Welcome to The Digital Patient, where we discuss the latest advancements in digital patient engagement and share stories from the front lines. I'm your host, Alan Sardana, and with me as always is CMOS MDE CEO, Dr. Joshua Liu. Today we're joined by our very special guest, Dr. Ashish Barad. Dr. Barad is the Chief Digital and Information Officer at Allegheny Health Network, where he leads the deployment of technology to enhance the reach, access, and effectiveness of AHN's clinical care delivery with a focus on both the patient and clinician experience relative to electronic health records, artificial intelligence-powered data analytics, wearable devices, and other virtual tools and platforms. Prior to joining AHN in the spring of 2022, Dr. Broad worked as the clinical lead for Baylor Scott & White's digital health office and as a pediatric gastroenterologist. Dr. Broad, Ashish, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks, Alan. And yeah, please do call me Ashish. Really happy to be here. Been looking forward to it.
0: Amazing. Well, we're so glad that you could take the time to spend with us. You've led such an inspiring career spanning the clinical worlds, informatics, digital health, and health equities. And from what I can tell, you've been optimistic about the role that the right technology can play. To improve healthcare perhaps even longer than your professional career would show. I'd love to start at the beginning. I believe I've heard a story that your interest in medicine started after typhoid fever that you got when you were eight years old in rural India. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, Alan, thanks. The story is true. Yeah, it was I was eight. I grew up in the US, by the way, I was born in Chicago and we grew up in the States. We grew up I grew up in Houston. And, but we went back, you know, as many immigrant families do to go see family. So I was eight years old, went back to India and yeah, got typhoid fever and that salmonella typhi as Josh well knows. And, uh, you know, it, 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 I think I was, I think I lost like 25 pounds, which was like all of me at eight. I was a very skinny little kid. So I got, you know, I was, I was on death's door. For sure. And what was crazy, you know, a couple of things that were crazy about it, a couple of stories around it, which was I was misdiagnosed, right? And and because I was basically in a village in India where, you know, some of my family and my, they grew up in a really in a village state. So misdiagnosed with malaria, wrong treatment, and uh, wasn't getting any better. And then the second part was really stuck was my mom and my sister come with me. We grew up pretty low income. And so, they didn't allow my mom to change flights without a very hefty cost that she couldn't afford, and so they had to leave. And I, and so right there in the middle of my typhoid fever that was misdiagnosed, my my family took off. I was an eight-year-old, and I was left with my cousins that I'd never met before, and uh, you know, in a village in India. And it was a really scary experience. I I recall it really well, but. You know what? What saved my life was luckily I had a cousin back in the states who was marrying a guy who was that happened to be a doctor in India, you know, and so Manish, uh, who is a, a family practice doc out in out in Iowa now, came in to 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 take care of me, properly diagnosed me, uh, got me on the right antibiotics treatment, and saved my life. And then a month later, I went home, came back to came back to Texas, came back to state. So. You know, and so it just, it really sparked the interest of not just, you know, a doctor taking care of me and really saving my life, but also the fact of, you know, I, I don't think I would have made it without Manish. I, I really think that if I had not had proper access to health care from many different levels, not, you know, it's accessing the right physician, accessing the right treatment, the right care, I don't think I'd be here. So I'm trying to pay it back.
0: It's uh, amazing. And so you went into pediatric gastroenterology. At what point did digital enter your mind share? Was it all the way back then you knew, you know, a rural access and digital could maybe improve workflows? Or how did you get into digital health?
1: No, I appreciate the question. Not as early as I wanted to. You know, if I look back and I could change one thing, although I wouldn't change anything because I'm where I'm at and I'm happy with it. But I really just went one foot in front of the other to become a doctor. You know, I, I it, it, you know, nowadays, right. You can be like a doctor in a digital doc and you can have some pathways, but back then, right. I'm, I'm, I'm older than I, than you might think I am. It, I still, I grew up with paper charts, by the way. So, uh, you know, it was just really a matter of you go be a doctor, you go be a doctor. So I did, right. I did medical school and then pediatric residency in Texas. So I went to Chicago for my pediatric GI training. So what happened at Chicago at Northwestern was probably what got me into this world of just technology, right? So up until that point, all paper charts, you know, going in, hey, my attending saying, hey, she should go grab 423, right? And you go grab this big old binder, 423, and you bring it to the table, and everybody looks at that and, and you know, talks about things. So uh, Northwestern said, hey, we're, we're doing this thing that not a lot of people have done, maybe Geisinger. At the time but we're going all in with something called an emr and We're using this company that nobody knows called epic so they're like you know we don't know how to go live no they don't know how to, to do go lives so uh we're just gonna have fellows do it y'all seem like you're young and smart you you know why don't you why don't you guys go do this go live? and so yeah i got tasked to to you know do the go live of epic and northwestern way back when and that probably got me in the world of just technology. I am in no way will never claim to be an informaticist. And that's not an offense that I meant to be an offensive informaticist. That is not my path at all. I, I, that wasn't anything that I wanted to really, I, I didn't, it didn't spark my passion. I want to improve workflows. Gosh, I absolutely want to improve workflows. And I, as a dog, as a practicing dog, I want that to be better. But that didn't, at that moment, it wasn't, wow, this is what I want to do. I want to live inside the world of EMR and Epic. And, and make workflows better. Like it's just, it, it didn't spark anything at that moment, but I got really good at just technology, if you will, inside healthcare. That sparked my interest of, all right, this is a new thing, right? We're, we're gonna start using technology in healthcare. So then I left Northwestern as a fellow and I took a first job at Sutter Health in California as an attending, as a pediatric gastroenterologist, full-time pediatric GI, and no kidding, they're like, soon I get there they're like, hey, we see that you're doing an Epic Go Live. We're doing that. Sutter's going live with Epic. And so, all right, I'll, I'll help you do that. Go live. So I did another live. 20 months in, we had our we were having our first kid. We missed home. It was fine, time to go back to Texas. Got a job at Baylor Scott & White. As you mentioned, this is in 11 and, 2011. And yeah, like, no, no kidding, man. Within a year, they're like, we're doing this thing on Epic go live. So I did three Epic go lives like really early in my career. So it got me, at least in the world of technology and informatics, if you will. And I helped Baylor Scott & White do that as well. But went back to practice, right? Like, I mean, just did that off the side of my desk. And then I became section chief of pediatric GI a couple of years after I started there. So my path was, you know, being a physician first, being a leader of physicians. I love that. Uh, We had a children's hospital and everything else. So what what really, I guess, got me into the role of digital health, to answer your question specifically, is... You know, and again, not not anything that anybody's not doing now with video visits, right? Not sexy, not innovative at all. But it doesn't 13, to be fair. If you go back a decade, it was something that not a lot of people were doing. It was some ones here's, you know, onesies and twosies of Skype, maybe with a call with a patient. Uh, if you remember Skype software, maybe I'm dating myself, but you know, the, um, but what happened was, uh, you got to think about taxes, right? Large, state, a lot of rural America, uh, second largest state in, in the country, right? Not very liberal with their money to Medicaid populations and, you know, right? So Medicaid expansion hasn't happened still in Texas, right? So a lot of people that are a lot of equity issues, you know, and so as a pediatric gastroenterologist, you can imagine there's not many of me. So, you know, people have a hard time for accessing care to specialty care and especially pediatrics. And when they do, I mean, people, I had, I had people, no question driving eight hours to come see me for 15 minute visits. I mean, it, it was just silly, stupid, you know? And, and really it was a check-in, right? Because the, the, the rules stated to, to give you a refill on anything you had to physically see me. And it just, for me, at that, I think it was that moment for me to say, this doesn't make any sense. And so I did the first video visit for the system uh, of all Baylor Scott & Wine. I built it inside Epic with Adobe Connect. I think that was the first time that got done. And so it was, you know, it was was just, but I went right back to practice outlet. Like it, it wasn't doing, I think it all comes back to like, when you, we talk about what we're doing now, I didn't do it because it was shiny. It was cool. It was whatever, right. It it solved a problem for my patient. My patient was driving eight hours to come see me for a 15 minute visit. Why the hell, why can't I meet them where they are? It gets overused now. But that was exactly what it was. It was like, how can I come to you? How can I be there with you? And and honestly, right, the patients loved it. And no reimbursement at the time, living in a fee-for-service world and RVUs, so didn't care. Uh, it was the right thing to do. And so that got me in the world of virtual. And then, you know, I'll really give credit to Baylor, Scott and & White and their leadership at the time in about 15, 2015. The CEO at the time decided, you know what, we need a chief digital officer. We need somebody leading digital health. And this is before most places, right? Had anything to do with digital health at 15. And so that's Nick Reddy, great friend of mine. He's still the chief digital officer at Baylor Scott and Y. And so Nick and I got to know each other really well with the Epic Go Live and remain friends. And so, you know, I created a, the created a first MyChart app. I think, yeah, I think it was the first MyChart app that wasn't MyChart. It was a wrapper around MyChart to get to consumer grade. Right. And that was at Baylor Scott and White. So I started becoming, in a sense, like an internal consultant, if you will, to them. I didn't want to leave practice at that time in any capacity. I enjoyed building my team of doctors and providing care. And then, you know, really COVID is really what changed all of it. And when COVID happened, there was kind of a realization of, man, digital health is blowing up, right? Even pre-COVID. And that obviously we saw what 2020 did with digital health. And there's a lot of shiny objects out there. But hey, we're not, nothing's scaling, nothing's actually getting adopted, you know, engagement's really low. But we're spending a lot of money meeting with all these companies and bringing them in, but we're just really not seeing it go anywhere. So they have the insight to say, we need a clinical leader here to really vet all this. And so again, credit to, to Bayless John Wyatt, credit to Nick, credit to my CMO, at the time Alex, he's still the CMO, Alex, well, uh, Alex Rolica, he's the chief innovation officer now actually. And, you know, just making that recognition and tapped me to, to do that. And so that got me in the role of digital health. And, you know, I was, I called it a second fellowship. Absolutely. Because I learned acronyms that I'd never heard before, including CRM, SEO, even a KPI. What the heck is a KPI as a doctor? You don't know KPIs, you know, so basic stuff, right? So I I just, I took on a beginner's mindset and I was like, man, I just want to consume. I love this. I think that, you know, I, I, I credit. Shantani Nandi talks about democratizing healthcare with technology. And that completely resonates with me. And that's what I believe in. And I was like, if we do it right, we can do that. And I want to be a part of that. right? And I want to be able to not just lead it, but also be able to kind of guide non-clinical people, non-healthcare people to make sure we're solving the right problems.
2: And I want to unpack something that you got into. So you mentioned how you know, it was so important that you got into more of a, a clinical leadership role with digital health that Ed Bieler, Scott and & White. And, and one of the things that you've mentioned, I think today, but also to me in the past is that a lot of these digital health implementations fail because clinicians just weren't properly involved in the process, which sounds like an obvious thing, I think, if you talk to clinicians, but we see it happen all the time. It still happens today with health systems. What do you think the right level of clinician engagement is in rolling these digital health solutions out and what are the pitfalls that systems can maybe avoid?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, Josh. And you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, that's exactly what we see. Or you see that all the time with your company, right? You know, and, and trying to get out there. And I, I think you do such a great job of making sure that that's at the forefront at, with the implementations is to make sure that you have buy-in from the clinician for the healthcare system that you work with, sure. So to your point, it's a tough arena, Right. Because on on one side of it I have empathy for these innovative healthcare, you know, companies trying to come into healthcare. We're tough. Doctors are hard, right? Like there's a lot there's a big segment of us that don't want to change a thing and we're comfortable. We really like where we are. Meaning maybe we don't even like it. But we don't want to change it, right? Like, I mean, nobody likes it. There's only going to be wrong. Like, nobody's like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is really working for everybody. If anybody thinks that, uh, sorry, like, don't beg doctors like that, okay? Like, doctors don't, aren't like that. I go to the front lines, they're tired. It's, ah, uh, man, it, there's a storm coming, you know, of physicians leaving. And so nobody likes it. But, you know, we haven't proven to them that were actually helping them with their work right I mean EMR was the biggest kind of like pulling the rug out of their uh, you know after you know under them in the in the world right and I'm not like anti-EMR but because I think it had its benefits but you know if you as it got rolled in even though I was part of those gold lives I mean I know this why be controversial but come on most physicians saw it as a billing and coding kind of platform we didn't see it as a this is gonna Really improved gear. Yeah, that might be a byproduct, but nobody really saw it as such. I was going back to cell phones, right? The biggest block of of professionals that that adopted cell phones beyond ninety percent, physicians. It's not we're not against technology, but guess what? It's solved. You were you were stopped. I remember these days, you stopped and got a page, and you literally had to find a tel- like a phone booth to answer the page from the hospital. Like I mean, right? Talk about and you're at the. Baseball game with your kid, and you're like, "Oh my god, I gotta go find a phone." Cell phone solved a real problem, and then the physicians were like, "All over cell phone, right?" They're the first professional block to take on cell phones. We're not against technology; we're against the technology that doesn't make our lives better, right? And so, and then when EMRs came in, it was like, "This is gonna make your lives all better. This is gonna solve the data interoperability." We're still talking about that, aren't we? So, like, right? This so is like way back when. And so it was kind of like, man, you know, they they just see it, many of them see it as a burden. And so they're a little, I get it, they're a little cautious of these promises that this, oh, no, no, this time we mean it. This technology is really going to make your lives better. And we don't always prove it out to your point is that, you know, as we take on new tools, we're like, hey, it's just five more things you got to look at in this patient, right? It's going to be great insights. It's going to be wonderful insights. It's going to really improve the care of your patients. It's five more alerts, you know, but these insights are the real ones. They're, they're going to be great. Did you remove five things from my plate to add these five things in? Right. So no, just, just do, it's just five more clicks guy. Come on. You know, it's not a big deal. So anyway, the, the, the answer is one, I just want everybody to have empathy for, for where physicians are on their journey of technology adoption. It's not like they don't want to, but we don't want it everybody wants it. Everybody wants it, but it wants to really solve a problem, not just for themselves, for their patients too, but it needs to solve in the, under the lens of them as well, can add just to solve for a patient. Okay. That's one. Secondly, it is so important that health systems, to your point of what can health systems do, they need to find that, that physician leader that, that, you know, is still optimistic about what technology can do and is, but it's still a frontline dog enough to where there's trust that, you know, and that that person can really speak to other physicians and be able to get a dog. And that's my job. A lot of parts of my job is going out there and saying, I get it. I get it. I empathize. Let me, and, and really be able to speak the language. But at the same time, saying, but look, look at the other side of that's change management, right? Yeah, look at the other side of this and let's what we gain. And then I'm going to work on taking a couple things away from you that are meaningful to you. So, I do think physicians need at the table, and if you look around the country at chief digital officers, if you interview many of them, sure. And I get it; I understand that they came from retail or they came from technology, they came from other places. And I'm not faulting these people. These are great people with great ideas that are way smarter than I am. But they they are challenged, right? They're challenged because they don't have they they can't get into the physician offices and speak that language. So if that's the case, I'm not saying all chief digital officers should be doctors in any way. But if that's the case, then they, they need to have a diet, a physician, clinician, if the nurse it's a nurse. It's I don't mean, need to be a doctor, but a clinician dyad, in my strong opinion, to be able to to help those clinicians along.
2: You brought so many great points. And I think it reminds me that in almost any other, you know, business, like B2B industry, the customer has to be desperate for the solution, like it has, to, they have to have a real serious problem that you solve otherwise it's it's a nice to have otherwise it's it's not a it's a vitamin not a painkiller and then it won't get adopted and like, well, i think what we remind our team here is that in healthcare it's even more complicated because if people you're trying to talk to are clinicians who are you know overburdened right now they're running around a hospital or a clinic they're in the or they are not sitting at their desk all day long where they can just get on a zoom and like learn about an innovative new solution so you you have to solve a real problem and somehow you have to have empathy for the fact that, yeah, you know what? Their inbox is full. They don't time all day long to take sales meetings. That's just the reality of, of healthcare. And we have to empathize with, with that situation. So I can't even imagine like in, in your shoes, in the hospital, you still have to somehow find these clinicians who may be running around and taking care of sick patients or in the OR and, and it's not easy for you too. So that, then I that empathy that. is so important. You're right.
1: Yeah. I, I told my team all the time, you know, there's a concept of empathy in action, yeah. right? And, and we talk about that a lot of uh, empathy is important, but what if empathy without action doesn't mean a whole lot, yeah. you know what I mean? And so I, I think it's, it's really important that the empathy with, you know, in action. And that means two things, which is you're seen, you know, you need to be out there. You need, I tell all, all my teams have to be out there in the hospitals and the clinics, be seen, be visible. And, and not just to be visible for visible sake, but then to gain further empathy, that, vis- that virtual cycle of empathy to be able to say, okay, you know, because what we're in healthcare, another problem in healthcare is we're just reactive, right? The industry is just always reactive in every way it's reactive. And it's the same stuff So Right now it's it's reactive from an innovation or technology or even just standard IT, it's just... You put a ticket in, you tell me what you want. Well, you know, same old school i t, right? Where it's just like you put it in what do you think a doc or a clinician or nurse or operator? And then we prioritize and we go to, that's that's not how we can we need to be able to uh, function and, and because I also do as the cio role of it, i'm I'm in charge of i t and epic too. So it's, it's the same concept there is is really we need to kind of get into a proactive approach of. If you do empathy in action, you're out there, and you're talking to them, and you see them, and you know, we're going to get into a proactive approach where you're going to know, you know, proactively what the needs are of the business for customer success. I mean, I call, I I, I tell my clinical informatics team, that's their job. Their job, your
2: job is, is customer success. And uh, the first time we've heard that, by mm-hmm. the way. That's really, really interesting. Got yeah. It. Anyway, yeah. That's awesome. Amazing.
0: She, she so I was wondering, you know, this empathetic action and, actually understanding what the problems are and being proactive about a solution. Early on in your career, while you were leading groups of physicians at the Baylor Scott and White, you were actually awarded for your exceptional productivity with the team and patient satisfaction scores. They were through the roof. I'm curious, you know, what were the keys to your success back then? And now how did that inform your leadership style over time? And then just a, a part two to that question, have you found any differences now that you're leading Teams of designers and developers, engineers, digital folk. Is there any differences?
1: Yeah, a great question. Alan.
0: So, yeah, you
1: know, I I'm very proud of the fact of how productive my me and my team were when I ran the division. And why am I proud of that? Is it for productivity's sake? Is it the money it brought in? No, right. What that? What does that mean? That meant that we were accessible. You know, the productivity meant that patients were able to get in. And I I'm so proud of you know, having a clinic of pediatric, if you have kids, anybody's listening, try to go see a pediatric gastrologist right now, you know, wherever you are, it's it is not easy. Okay. So typical wait times in some big cities still, you know, is like three, four months to, to go see a pediatric GI. There's, there's a reason why everybody starts pinging me and like, can you get me in? Right. You know, and we saw everybody within, you know, if you're an established patient, it was like within a day, we're going to find a spot, get you in. We're going to double book. We're going to triple book. We're going to make it happen because if you need us, and that was the culture. Uh, and it, I mean, but you got to balance the burnout aspect of that, you know, which we did. And there, I like, go into that another topic because it's, I know it's not a clinical how to run a pro, clinical program talk. But, you know, the, but all that being said, and, and a new patient within two weeks was our standard. And we tried to get it, you know, even within that. So it was to create access to, to help you when you're going through something, your kid has Crohn's disease and bleeding. You don't want to wait three months to be seen, right? I mean, obviously. So that that was such an important part of it, but anyway. So I just want to say that's why I'm proud of the productivity, not for productivity's sake. But you know, leading leading physicians and getting everybody. It, I think that it was the same kind of cons So it, the answer to your question, this that last part of your question, was no difference. And let me, let me expand upon that, which is like, is it different to lead other type of people not position? There's that term of missionaries, not mercenaries, right? I think it's used in agile methodologies or what have you. But in healthcare, we're missionaries, not mercenaries. That whole Gosh, I hope that you're in healthcare because you're a missionary, not mercenary. And especially on the provider side, right? One thing you mentioned in my bio is I'm an Allegheny Health Network. You didn't mention iMark, which is okay. But we're owned by a payer, right? We're owned by iMark. And so just to be fair and make sure everybody listens to no, stuff, HiMark is a huge payer, fourth largest Blue Cross Blue Shield in the country, 7 million-ish members that owns a provider system called Allegheny Health Network in the in the Western Pennsylvania region. And the reason why that's so important, right, is that, well, everything I'm doing here and the reason why I'm here, for a lot of other reasons, is then to also, one, innovate the payment structure and what we actually focus on uh, and getting out of fee-for-service. And the second reason is scaling, right? So we call ourselves at age and the pace setter for scaling at Highmark. And so it's not just, it, I'm, I'm not trying, I want to solve for Western Pennsylvania. I want to solve for Pittsburgh region, but I also want to, Selfishly, I want—I'm not selfish, but I just really do want to transform healthcare as a whole. And I wanted this, you know, landmark as scale that that you know, that AHN doesn't necessarily have. So I think that's another important part. But the the point of all that is, man, you know, every—I was just having this talk with uh, one of our COOs is that I don't know, you know, I'm I'm telling you, like, getting a mom with a new diagnosis of Crohn's disease or, pay, or a kid that needs a liver transplant, and having that discussion with them. And uh, like, you know, or a cancer kid that may not be here in the next year. Going through that, one of all, like I have grit. Like it it doesn't phase me with the politics of anything I got to do because if I got to have that conversation, I can have tough conversations uh, uh, on operations or politics or whatever stakeholder is. Okay, that's one. Two is, I mean, right? You're talking about getting stakeholders aligned and getting them on board. What is like clinical care? you got somebody coming in that thinks they have X, but they really have Y, they don't wanna have Y, they rather have X, and you're trying to get them to like come to come on board to even just that realization and acceptance, and then treatments that are like chemotherapy agents and they're, you know, and the concerns and worries, and I don't wanna do that, but hey, the outcome is better than the, the, the pain that you're gonna go through, what is that? That's all change management, now we deal with, hey, you gotta give up this to get that. So, so many things that I, as a doctor, did with my patients and I every time I have a tough situation now when I do that that knowledge and now what I did for so many years 14 years of 100% clinical practice I bring that to the table every day Alan and I I use those tools and techniques that I learned to get those really tough patients to accept things. Are, you know, and so getting people to kind of come along. So that's from the, those difficult stakeholders. And as far as the teams go, we just, can. I don't think in healthcare, especially in technology, we really talk about the mission enough, you know, and really tell our story enough about how impactful this work really is on society and all our patients and members and et cetera, and as well as providers go. And so we just talk about that a lot. We, we connect dots a lot. You know, and, and making sure that the, you know, sometimes these people in basements of just working on computers are at home now, a lot of them, you know, not connected. They don't get to see the impact of their work. And, and so we actively spend a lot of time in the leader, in our leadership circle, making sure that we have, you know, glass box demos, at whatever it may be, demo days, right? To, to really, you know, close that, that loop so they understand. And that's the same stuff that we did with clinical care with our teams, right? Those nurses, those doctors, those, whatever it was to be able to see, hey, I'm working my butt off, but I, and you get to see as a doctor, it's actually cleaner, right? Because as a nurse or a doctor, you get to see the outcomes usually, you know, and they're like, oh man, that, right? Because I mean, in my office right now, you know, all my stuff is just stuff that patients gave me as like, you know, like Dr. Barad, you know, right? I'm very proud. That's what I'm most proud of. That's what's all, that's just sitting in my desk. And, so you get to have that feedback loop, man, that drives me every single day. And when I left, you know, Texas, if you guys gone wide, a lot of tears, right? And I remember one one patient in particular was a short gut patient that did almost like a short gut transplant. So very, very sick for a long time. Central lines everywhere, grew up with lines, grew up in the hospital, line infections, right? And I got them off, you know, not I, but like we as a team and everybody over time, we got them off, all that stuff and thriving growing high school kid now about to start driving and i saw him since he was like four years old right and i mean he cried right this kid and i cried and you know his mom's like you know and they're spanish-speaking and if you if you're anybody who grew up in a spanish household you understand the term mijo but you know she's like mijo he's going to help more people in the job that he's going to do you know and and because you know it was it's so I say that all just because my clinical care really matters. I'm, I'm very, I bring that with me because that's why I'm here. I'm here because I want to make an impact at a at a at a, at a broader level. So,
2: I I love that. It, you know, I had this conversation with someone here at CMS the other day, and you know, we were talking about how like both us and like providers get sometimes get so frustrated with all the barriers and bureaucracy in healthcare, but then we talked a lot about the mission and you know remind us that hey, you know what like as frustrating as healthier can be it's such an impactful opportunity like the fact that no matter how bad it is you get to go home and say you know what, like we help these patients today uh-huh. that's an incredible feeling that there's no other like you know industry where you can go home and say that and it's so meaningful so i love that
1: well i, I tell you that josh i tell you that story but i mean like but then i also call my nurses hostage negotiators because
2: uh, <laughs> like, right, uh, because like
1: that's a great story. And then you're like, but then after that they're like ten moms yelling, screaming, cursing at them. It's hard. It's yeah. hard work, right? And you gotta remember that one story, right? Of like why I do this when you're going through the stuff thats the same thing, to your point. Um, is like, yeah, some days are really rough, some days are really hard, and you gotta remember that mission. Yeah. 100%.
2: Great point. Love to talk a bit about consumerism. So, you know, Al and I have talked a lot of chief digital officers who, as you mentioned, come from maybe the consumer industry and not from healthcare. And and a lot of them use the word consumer. But I think you're one of the few clinical and digital leaders who are kind of gravitating more towards the term consumer over patient lately. Can you unpack that perspective for us?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, this one's like, for me, Josh, I don't even know. It's like a no-brainer for me, I guess. I I think that and i don't care what term anybody uses if it's consumer or not but it's not patient to me anymore and, and and but but let me unpack that because i don't want anybody to get offended that they're not like and patients a doctor patient is a sacred relationship and i 100 percent believe in that but what i mean by that is that you know, you, you understand the connotation of, of patient is sick and and to some degree the connotation of patient is established and there's already an established relationship. There's already, you know, some level of trust built, loyalty, stickiness, whatever you want to call it. But you know, a patient is someone that's already in the system and you're in a reactive approach to that person. They've come in for a complaint or an issue and you're reacting to that complaint or issue. And I think the consumerism for me is moving upstream, you know, at the end of the day. It's it's moving upstream and being with you well ahead of you you know, ever being in our health system. And I love to get to a point where you never engage with our health system because, you know, but right, that's the whole world of wellness and, you know, we keep you well, you don't need to engage with the healthcare system. And I help guide you and navigate you and orchestrate your health, I won't even say care, you know, in a fashion. To, to keep you well, you know? And look, as doctors, with that's always like our running joke, right? Like, doctors are always trying to put themselves out of business. Why? Because you're actually t- you know, right? You're solving, like, you're, you're not trying to keep that patient sick. You're actually treating that patient to not be sick. So it's part of our DNA. You know, most talks we talk to them, and I won't say all, you know, but most talks we talk to them, they love to keep people out of their offices and keep them well. I get livelihoods and payment and all that and making sure incentives are aligned. That does need to happen. But from the consumerism standpoint, I know we've gotten decently there when me and all my executive leaders around me that are physicians or non-physicians don't get a thousand calls a day about who should my mom or who should I see for X, Y, Z thing that they need. Cardiologists, neurologists, who's the best at atrial fibrillation, Ashish, who get me in. Can you make some phone calls? And I'm not like being disparaging to anybody that does that. I get it. I do, I, you know, I just email the head of psychiatry for, you know, for some therapy recommendations for a family member of who she's good at this, right? I do it. We all do it. And I use that term democratizing healthcare. That's not and democratization of healthcare, and- right? That's VIP healthcare. We talk a lot about equity and we we talk a big game there. The action part of that is that information and that privilege of being able to get access shouldn't be something that should be living for those that, that are high income and have, you know, those access points. That that really should be something that when we get to consumerism, true consumerism, you should be able to shop, right? You should go to shop. And part of shopping is making choices and, and having information and data to make intelligent decisions, knowing who is really good at XYZ and, and being able to, to gain access to, to see that person.
2: Maybe touching base on what you said earlier about, you know, the fact that you're part of a paid provider with Highmark and Allegheny, you're in this unique position where you can actually transform payment models in, in a positive direction to more, you mentioned more value-based care. And, and yeah, I think one of the challenges that we've seen lately is that a lot of the digital tools being used, like even just like telemedicine, virtual visits, it's primarily, you know, fee for service. And then you may end up using it more than you need to sometimes or less than you should, depending on the situation. I'm curious. Anything that we should be keeping an eye on in the market for maybe new value-based care models or approaches that you think will actually get more adoption of digital in a way that's actually useful? Any thoughts oh, on to, that? It's
1: a great, it's a great question, Josh. And I, and I think it, I mean, obviously, that's a probably separate podcast to talk about payment models in healthcare, probably like ten. But the short answer to that, and the one, and and honestly, the reason, one of the major reasons why I'm here, is that Highmark decided to to their strategy is something called living health. It's okay. You know, we don't have to go into the whole thing and I'm not here to just, you know, talk about one thing, but very simply, I mean, it's, you know, there's a whole data aspect of that. There's care delivery aspect of that. There's a lot of other aspects of that I want to get into. But at the end of the day, living health as part of Highmark as a payer is saying, you know what? We want to, we're going to reduce total cost of care by improving outcomes. Josh, that's huge. Right. Because I think, I mean, I, you know, JPM, there, there was a panel yesterday and not there, but I, you know, it was like, hey, value-based care is not really going to be reality until we could actually have payers focus on outcomes, not just by denying care. You know, right. I mean, there's a lever that insurance the payers have had forever that worked, you know, to make money. And that was like, you know, right. I'm denied care. I have no MRI, no, you know, no surgery. And so, right, the, and it works. It works. And they could dial that up and dial that down, you know, as they need it, right, depending on what they need to hit. And I'm not, I'm I'll completely oversimplifying and I'm not trying to make payers evil and I'm not like anti-pay. I'm just saying that that we know utilization management has been a big aspect. And I'm not saying it's ever going to, I don't know, I hope it goes away at one point, but you know, it's still here with us. But to say for a payer to really just say, you know what, we're going to go different. You know, the the future of healthcare and, and that MO isn't going to be the future MO. We're not, it's not sustainable to stay that way. We really do need to improve the outcomes of our population. And we're going to focus on that as the main lever of total cost of care. That's why I'm here. And so that payvider aspect, I don't, yeah, I, I, I know. I mean, I've talked to many, many leaders in this space. No one else is doing it like we're doing it. And I'm not trying to like blow smoke up our like, oh my gosh, we're the best. And they say, no, we haven't done it yet. So like, you know, we got to like, I mean, I don't know, is it going to succeed or not? But man, I want to be here to, to be a part of it and see us succeed. And that's, that is, you know, a lot of pay providers and again, not it's different ways to do it, but you know, a lot of the pay providers that you see, either one, it's a closed system. Right. And so, okay, that's great. Or it's a market that there's not a lot of competition. We got, we got a big system in Pittsburgh that's not called Allegheny Health Network. Right, that has a, a pretty decent market share. is well known around the world. We got competition, and we're open. Fifty percent of our claims are through our through HighMark. Well, the other fifty percent are everybody else. And um, you know, or they're just buying a bunch of primary care practices, right? And trying to influence them that way. That's not that's not the same thing as as a truly. We call ourselves. We're leading into what we call blended, mm-hmm. and I mean blended, like truly blended, like one org you know, it's a really neat experiment. I'm so glad I'm here and learning like, you know, for me, just personally, right. I'm like, I didn't speak payer, not real payer, right. Just doctor payer. right? Oh, those payers up, those insurers up there. Right. You know, and so just to, again, we talked about empathy, you know, they're not bad people up there. Right. You know, that's, there's like this kind of like here I'm in Pittsburgh, so I'll use the Steelers versus Browns, you know, example. And it's always been that kind of, mentality of my tribe, my team, you know, and I shouldn't like that. So, you know, we're we're really trying to build trust between the two entities. And that's another key word.
2: I respect what you're doing so much with, you know, Highmark and Allegheny and the whole pay provider thing. And and it makes me think about, you know, we're seeing a lot of these big tech like Amazon or or pharmacy giants like CVS, like start to come in and, and, you know, buy care delivery groups and get more involved there. But I think what we're also seeing is a lot of them are focusing on the I want to say almost like simpler aspects of care delivery, like you know outpatient care, and and you know they're not having to deal with complex like inpatient situations and and very high risk and complex patients sometimes. Whereas in your shoes, you're dealing with all of that, right? Like you don't you don't get the choice of just the high margin outpatient stuff. You're dealing with like low margin complex situations with the goal yeah. of improving care for everyone. So I really really admire that i'm curious like any any thoughts on how maybe digital leaders of health systems should be reacting to this new landscape where you know big tech or or pharmacy giants are coming into care delivery you know how 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 should folks compete react any, any thoughts there
1: yeah sure appreciate the question thank you josh as i looked at career paths right as i really found passion in this space and believe in it and i 100% believe in it right obviously just like you and others I had opportunities or thoughts about where should i go and man, it, I just, I couldn't not be in a space where, yeah, you have to solve for Medicaid as much as you have to solve for Medicare Advantage, as much as you need to solve for women's health, as much as you need to solve, like, you know, the, the scale and the fact of being able to touch all lives was something that really spoke to me. And it would be, I think it would be really hard for me personally to be in a company that, again, not, that's not to minimize those companies and what they're doing, by the way, but to be one company that says, hey, I'm going to take on Medicare Advantage for, I don't know, you know, for this segment and this consumer and only this market. Like, I, I, yeah. So I, I appreciate that. Now, if I ever do that, like 10 years from now, you can call me out and say, Hey, you said you might, but you know, things change, right? <laughs> so who knows? So, uh, so all that being said, um, I, I guess the question of just how do we lean into it, I'm going to be more simplistic with this answer because it's loaded too, as all things are, is that, and, and people have said this, I just, but it resonates is, is partnership is the future right? If we work with you, we worked with any other company, it would be very, very clear. This is not going to be a point solution that we're going to pay for. You're not a vendor, you're a partner. And if you're not a partner, we don't want to work together. You know, I'm not looking for purchasing a software and saying, cool, we got it add it on, you know, to, to all everything else we're doing. If you look at, you know, we announced in our partnership with Google quite a couple of years ago, part of that and was announced at health recently was League. Uh, and creating that digital front door aspect of it from a payer perspective called my Highmark. And, and so, I mean, Lee, I'll just, you know, shout out to them and give an example is that's a partnership because they, to this level of robustness to build out a platform, you know, a digital front door, not just the front door of an app, but a true platform play as I've been mean, done. There's talks and discussions and meetings with them of, and brainstorming and whiteboarding constantly, right? It's a true partnership. And there's other vendors that, you know, people can look up that are out there that we, that we work with, but every one of them, you know, the CEO of that company's out here and like sitting down and we're talking about, you what if this, what if that help we build it together? And, and and like a year after the partnership was inked, it was, it's not just the, Hey, the contract signed and like, Oh, it's redo. We'll come back in. Right? Like that's not the part. That's not the relationship we have um, with, with, you know, most of our companies that we work with. So anyway, to, to your question is. The big tech, they they partner and they they compete and you know at all at the same time and it's it's very complex matrix world, and that's where I think healthcare is going. It, it's not going to be so simplistic. And then I get somebody's like, oh my god, Amazon's taking us. Well, yeah, sure, they'll do this and then we'll partner with them on that. You know, it, it's just right. We just need to expand our mind because that's as doctors in healthcare. It's always been like, oh no, tenants coming in or ACA is whatever it is. I mean. The, the other hospital down the block. And it's very easy to be like us, them, we don't partner. Why would you partner? You try to do the same, all same services, right? We're not used to it necessarily in healthcare to be like, wait, we compete with this segment or this market. we partner on something else. So getting people to kind of just get their head around that healthcare, even though that might be super simple and, you know, 10, so 10 years ago or big tech. It's something new in healthcare, so um, now I and I look at all those. I what it does though, and I think Alan, you you mentioned you didn't say the term, but you alluded to it, which is burning platform, right? Is what I love when those things hit the news and people start publishing left and right, it makes my job so much easier, right? Because it's just like, hey, Amazon's coming in, we gotta go, like, we gotta offer something, blah blah blah, blah right? I'm not really worried about it, Amazon. Per se, but you know, but it but it, it sure helps me create a create a burning platform. I'm not saying there isn't one, by the way. Not saying there isn't one.
2: Hundred percent believe there is one. But it's it it ramps up the heat. It can kinda of remind so just great point about like you can be partners in some markets and maybe um, healthy competitors in other markets. Kind of reminds me how like you know, like Amazon with Prime Video Prime Video competes with Netflix. Netflix I'm pretty sure is still being hosted on AWS. That's right. And so when Netflix makes money, AWS is making money. Uh,
1: that's it. And that's yeah. it. And that's what I'm like. I mean, I'm always just where's the win win wins? Right? Where does where does the payer win? Where does the provider win? Where does the win? And where does the consumer, you know, slash member, slash patient win? Right. There's I'm sure there's more wins than that, but that's at least it has to collect those three.
2: In many ways, too, it's kind of like if you stay consumer focused and don't spend too much time like watching the competition copying them, you'll probably end up in a better direction, anyways.
1: Yeah, and it's it's, it is, but it is it is neat. I mean, I gotta give these credit to these companies. Like, you know, Maven. I look at Maven for example because it's just top of mind. I'm meeting with my women's health chair about like menopause and what are we doing around that. From a you know, so like, brilliant companies, brilliant things that they've done. I appreciate them because they spur my mind to be like oh man we should be thinking about that and what we're doing there right so like a lot of it's inspirational for me too not to say i can't work with them directly too but you know we do have a program around menopause let's say or other programs around autoimmunity and what have you and i think a lot of these companies sometimes will also appreciate just saying hey you know conceptually getting hand and then and it helps me also like go to those chairs that may not have thought about that may think that that's not possible and say well there's a whole company you know that's been doing this at scale well with good outcomes you know are you sure it's not possible so
0: yeah i get a lot of benefit out of it it's such a great way to spark a discussion is just you know look what's out there that's so awesome last question that i have is today there is an explosion of patient-facing innovations everything from remote patient monitoring to chatbots to digital care journeys I'm curious if you had to pick one, what are you most excited about today? Man, yeah, I'm. I'm a, i got a problem with that one because I'm such a boil
1: the ocean person. It's hard, like focus, <laughs> man, focus. Right? You're like you. I sound like my dad, or you sound like Nick Reddy. Would always be like, "Sheesh, draw your box, man, draw your box." Like, <laughs> and I always struggle with that. Gosh, what am I excited about? You know, it's not going to be a great answer because it's like the obvious answer, and it's data. It's data interoperability. That's that's it. The future is data in healthcare, and but it's not just obviously data for data's sake, but the interoperability play there. Like we are so immature, right? Mm. There's, a There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons. A lot of people that don't want interoperability that are very powerful, but it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen, and uh, we we have to. People need it to happen. It's the right thing to do. So. I'm most excited about data transferability. I'm not the smartest
0: at that role, by the way, in any way, but I'm just most excited about it. Yeah. It's not it's not the sexy answer, but uh, it's the necessary one. I think that's And you know, actually, I guess some people would find that the sexy answer. Yeah. Clark,
1: Richard Clark, my chief analytics officer at iMark, would probably be like, yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so that's great. And so she's just being mindful of your time. Let's flip over to what we call the fast five lightning round. So again, five questions to get to know you better. First question we have, what is your favorite book or book you've gifted the most?
1: Yeah, you know, I got it, man. I got it. I have it ready. Because it's sitting here and this is my wife got this for me for my birthday. It's the Count to Monte Cristo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a like one of the original, like it's not first edition, but it's early edition. So, I mean, it even smells good, you know, right?
0: So,
1: <laughs> um, so that is that is that is my book. I think one of the things that, uh, in life I've always tried to instill in my kids because, you know, I don't know, you know, a lot, a lot of stories behind it is grit, right? Like, I, I think the, that's if you said sure. what's the one thing that you one trait that you just find to be most boring be grit and, uh, you know, that book is such a good example of, I don't know what I would do, um, you know, in his situation, but I would hope that, I mean, not that I would, all the revenge, was pretty, <laughs> okay? <pretty> <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, not, I'm not trying to kill me both boys in, okay, but man, the grit, you know, the persistence, I mean, he went through it, and, and so I think the journey that he went through, it's like, it's easy to do a podcast and talk about all the wins and all the great things, but we all went through yeah. really rough periods. We all, and we, you know, and it's, it, and so just to talk about the reality of what he, what he went through with that, just, I don't know. It resonates. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome.
0: Question two, who is a person either dead or alive you'd love to meet?
1: Yeah, no. And so, I uh, appreciate that. I, um, uh, man, it's such a weak answer because like, I don't know. I just, the, I'll give you like a silly answer to it, not even a silly, but like an answer to it. And maybe this sounds like pompous and I hate, I'm sorry if it does to everybody on the podcast listening, but man, everybody has story. I love stories. I mean, if I go to a restaurant, if I go to a bar, if I go to, and I just talk to somebody, I'm just like, eh, such amazing stories that people, people have gone through that you would never know. And I just like talking to people and just understanding, learning. Like, I don't have this, like, I don't have the celebrity crushes. I don't have like, oh my God, there's this one person that I'm like, really want to know. I don't want to meet my heroes. they're They're flawed. Okay, like we're really flawed as people sometimes, uh, right? So I don't have anything per se, but, you know, if I had to say, and somebody that I really admire is Teddy Roosevelt. and yeah, yeah. You know, that's probably who I've deep dived the most as far as, you know, just with his life. His life is fascinating.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd probably say him. Very cool. Switching three, would you rather have super strength, super speed, or the ability to read people's minds? Oh, man.
1: Uh, so that's a tough one. You're you're speaking to the first grade running champion. Uh, so I, I think that uh, that was
2: checked off, man, for speed. So, uh, did you race them recently, or, or did you win? <laughs> yeah, I
1: like I like the basketball. The, you know, Will Ferrell won the ball. Or, that's me, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's a great question. Uh, I should do that. Uh, I have a, I have a pre-K, she's two years from now, I'll, 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 I'll go raise her. You get the ribbon. Um, I don't know, man, I'll go super strength just because yesterday my, my, my five-year-old did the Louisa, um, you know, she had all her stuffed animals from, <laughs> so I'll
0: just, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. That's great. Question four, what is something in healthcare you believe that others might find insane? Yeah, two things.
1: I mean there's a lot there's a lot the obvious answer is always like facts probably like we use facts for everything i'm sure everybody gives that answer so i'll do that one. so what i'll say is this when i started at baylor's gone white and i'm not like oh this is probably a bad story for me like Baylor don't say that but when i started my practice i will like transport my colon- colonoscopes in my trunk of my car you <laughs> know like i'm going to this place and i'm like that's not cleanly I Like you oh, no. like, we don't do that anymore nobody does that <laughs> and I was like, "What? I'm driving?
2: Like that, my- that, that's called a I mobile health." Up
1: things, or <laughs> yeah. You're like, "Dude, am I supposed to be driving this around in my trunk of my and, car?" Uh, and
2: wow! So I think
1: that's insane. The second story I'll give you, and I was looking trying of find it, couldn't find it. And this is like Health Tech Nerds, right? I think they do a fab. I love that. I love you know the, uh, the channel. I'm on their Slack channel, and I, get, I learned so much from that. If you don't know about Health Tech Nerds, great place. Kevin Ryan, I, I you know does that. So shout out to them. But. Uh, It was like a year and a half ago, one of their weekly, you know, kind of things was, it was like a heart failure clinic and they were looking at data and they found that just this one, I don't think she was a nurse. She may have been a nurse or she may have been just a medical assistant. Called everybody, developed a relationship, developed trust with those heart failure patients and would follow up with them almost like daily for a month as a pilot. Okay. How are you, Mr. Thomas? What's going on? What do you need? Blah blah blah. And I think like you reduce the readmissions or like an improved outcome like by 30%, what? like more than any digital health vendor out there, more than anything technology could do. Because, and and just the point is, and I always tell all my team, everybody around me is, I'm scaling trust is what I'm trying to do with technology. I'm not using technology just for technology's sake or because I think it's gonna replace anybody. But you can't scale synchronous care. You can't scale one person or trust that you have with your care team. So, how does technology build around that trust and scale that to be 24-7, always on? That's what we need to be. We need to be always on for our patients, our consumers, our people. But we can't do that with humans and individuals, especially what's happening with staffing shortages in the workplace. Burnout, right? So, anyway, so I thought that was profound, profound. And I always think about that as to, like, that's what's going to reduce the outcomes is that trusted relationship and building those relationships, but how to do technology the right way to scale that.
2: I we we love clone that. Nurse, it sounds like, right? <laughs> yeah. We dang it. Cloning? Just cloning. <laughs> no, yeah, cloning. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's the technology I'm most excited <laughs> about, right.
0: and we're going to clone people. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great. <laughs> and another podcast, you said, you want to build Netflix, not make the blockbuster lines faster. That's right. It's thinking about it from a different lens. How do we scale trust? I've never heard that before, but then it makes so much sense. I love that. The last question that we have is if you could travel back in time to any event or moment, what would it be, and why?
1: Yeah. so leadership nerd, obviously, Teddy Roosevelt. I just I, I think it's um it's something that I just uh, really enjoy. so um I would um I would say that a leader that I really respect and I love to just be next to is, you know, one that everybody knows Abraham Lincoln, but uh, I'll throw another book. My second favorite book, Team of Rivals. Uh, if you read it? And you know, it just talks about man, this guy. Like it, it didn't matter, and he brought all the people that were running up against, running you're against fair. him as president. And he's like, "Oh, you're gonna be on my cabinet now." And you're like, "You hate me, you love me, yeah, I mean, you're trying to, you're, you, you would backstab me in a sad game, whatever it may be." And he, I mean, at the end of his right, at end of his time as 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 president, and throughout his time, uh, they were his as biggest as advocates, and, yeah, and, and and just I, I think his leaders. Um, you know, a lot of this is leadership. A lot of this is, uh, is leading through what's happening in healthcare and getting people on board. And, and I think to, and of course, I mean, in the backdrop of the civil war and slavery, I mean, right. Like, I mean, all that happening in the backdrop of that, I think that'd be a fascinating time to, to learn from. Fair, fair. Sure.
2: That's awesome. By the way, I, I was surprised. I thought you'd say you want to travel back to your first, uh, EHR go live and, and relive it all. Well
1: I'm done with those days, man. I'm done with those days. Um, no, I mean, listen, I, I, I still think there's a lot of, uh, I mean again, I, I want, um, you know, we, we gotta do better. We gotta do better from that. Josh, so we gotta do better with the HR. Got Got to be in every other industry, right? Like you don't look at technology and say, oh, it's a burden. Yeah, sure. I Every mean, anything you like, oh yeah, that automates this and that like improves my life and that and consumers, right? Going back to consumerism, like you look at technology, you are know, like, oh my God, that solves a thousand things that I used to do. I had to do that manually, but doctors, yeah. some of them, many of them would be like, give me paper charts again. If, go. If. That's crazy. It's crazy that you would say technology slows me down. That manual charting, you know, you know it's not the right thing because nobody can read it and like the labs aren't shared and whatever. So I'm not saying anybody's trying to go back there. But doctors would tell you, right, it, if that, that we're living in the manual days. I, would, I, saw, I saw 30% more patients yeah. when
2: I had manual charts. It's like, it's like me saying, hey, Hashish, I'm not going to text you anymore. I'm going to go back to writing letters to you. I'm going to write yeah. you letters.
1: <laughs> mailing them. And you'd be like, cool, that's faster than this. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's crazy. But that's what it is. You know? And so we got to do better. We got to uh, just fundamentally. We got to take it back down. I want to burn it all down and, uh, and just <laughs> rebuild it, rebuild it the right way, you know, and, and and be truly seen like what cell phones were when they first came out for doctors removing pagers and and phone booths. That's what technology should do right. The iPhone obviated like fifty different tech things you didn't need anymore, from a calculator to a flashlight to a, you know like stuff that you would be like, wait, not yeah, right. anymore because of an iPhone. Right, so that yeah. it,
0: it, we got to get there. Wow, that's awesome. I, I think that's a it's a great note to end on. It kind of summarizes your optimism for the future of the right technology and healthcare and how it can really lead to this paradigm shift of how we're using technology in a way that's actually helpful and not to the detriment of our our time and and effort. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Ashish. For folks listening, you can find Ashish on Twitter. I believe it's at hash2hash. That's the number two in the middle. (laughs) Uh, And that's a wrap for this episode of the Digital Patient hosted by SeamlessMD. You can follow us on Twitter at SeamlessMD. And if you like the podcast and you want to learn more, you can visit www.seamless.md. Ashish, again, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Thank you so much for having me, guys.